Yo, 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 we got a new NBA champion. We got a new NBA champion. What's happening? What's good with everybody? How's everybody doing out there? Let's get it started. Let's get it started. Saturday episode, so you know how we give it up. Fully packed episode. Um, I, <laughs> Let me not say fully packed. And I, I know you guys probably get tired of me saying that because I, I think I say that like every episode, fully packed got a lot to get into today but no in all seriousness we got an NBA a new NBA champion um the Milwaukee Bucks obviously um you know you got everybody should know this now you know tuning in and so forth but obviously I'm going to talk about the the conclusion of the NBA finals uh Giannis obviously obviously just a all-time great series a all-time great finals performance uh, I think we can all agree with to that, but don't forget, I also have my NFC prediction predictions, my early NFC predictions that I am going to do that I know a lot of people are waiting for as well. Um, but it's a lot, you know, we've got quite a few going, quite a, quite a lot of stuff going on in the sports world, even with the conclusion of the NBA season. Obviously, you got, you know, some baseball seat, you got some baseball um, you know, this is all it's trade around a trade deadline. So some teams, some contenders are trying to buffer up their rosters. Um, you know, NFL training camp, the vaccination within the NFL, the vaccine, the the whole protocol that's causing that's causing some controversy. So a lot of stories and a lot of news still circula- circulating around the sports world as we get closer and closer to the NFL season and college football. Uh, we got to talk about college football, the Big 12, Oklahoma and Texas possibly moving to the SEC. So much to get into, not to mention the Olympics. So much to get into. Um, let's start right here. Uh I'm your humble and highly favored host, Isaiah Kidd of the Isaiah Kidd Podcast. Welcome back. Um, Shout out to all the first-time listeners. Shout out to all the regular listeners. Shout out to everybody that's listening. Shout out to, you know, you just discovered this podcast or a friend told you, a friend, you know, recommended this podcast to you. Shouts out to them and shouts out to you. Um, um, I'm, I'm just so happy that we're spreading and so forth. And, you know, more people, more and more and more people are gravitating towards this podcast. Really, I really appreciate it. Uh, so let's start with the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, this NBA Finals. The Milwaukee Bucks are the new champions. So Giannis in the elimination game, uh, or I should say in game six, um, to clinch the NBA championship, he drops a staggering 50 points, 14 rebounds with five blocks. But I think, I don't know what's more, and I'm still trying to figure out what's more impressive. The fact that he scored 50 points in a closeout game in the NBA Finals, the biggest stage of the NBA, or the fact that he went 16 from 17 from the free throw line. So, like, so Giannis did it all last, um, or, well, I shouldn't say last night, but he did it all in game six. Uh, by the way, this is Friday. You know, I'm recording Saturday's episode, so you guys, if you're new, that's what that's how we do it. Um, this is a Saturday episode, but... Like I said, Giannis all-world performance um, and the Milwaukee Bucks, we all know that the Milwaukee Bucks, we should know by now, uh, are the new NBA champions. The Milwaukee Bucks are the new NBA champions. I kind of like how that sounds. 
Um, I'm not gonna lie to you. I kind of like how that sounds. Uh, and and for Milwaukee, and, and, and I'm gonna talk about Giannis. For Giannis, it speaks to what he has overcome um, to get to this point. And I always, I, this is a point that I always bring up um, about these, 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 these elite players like the the, the Giannis, the Lebrons, the KDs, the you know, and so forth. Usually, when you look at the all-time greats in the past, the all-time you most all-time greats had had like they had to overcome an obstacle or a lot of obstacles, years of losing in the playoffs before they win a title. Magic Johnson is a unique circumstance. Magic Johnson, you know, obviously, <laughs> like when Magic Johnson won his first NBA championship in 1980, he wasn't the best player on the Lakers. It was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So Magic came into a unique situation. Magic was the, he wasn't even like, he wasn't fully the primary ball handler. Norm Nixon was on that team as well with Magic, you know, splitting ball handling duties. Uh, but usually you look at the Michaels, the Hakeems, the Kobe's, the Shaq's, um, you know, the LeBron's. You, you can go on and on and on and list these names. Uh, they, it, it took an obstacle and it took multiple years of learning and tutelage and losing in the playoffs um, to eventually get to the mountaintop of the NBA. And that's what Giannis has accomplished. You know, Giannis and his emergence as a superstar, I think that's safe to say now, his emergence as a superstar has obviously come with a lot of shortcomings. Just like I explained, that's usually what happens with these greats. Um, and I'm just, and I, I, I marvel at the moments because the moments are special. And that's why I gave you guys at the beginning of the NBA finals, I get, I listed off my favorite, my personal favorite NBA finals moments, because I think a lot of, cause I think we can all agree, and I'm not saying Giannis is at this point or even close, right? I'm don't 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 miss miss don't miss don't misconstrue my words or uh, what I'm about to say. But a big reason why a lot of people still look at Michael Jordan as the goat is because of these moments these like we romanticize and it's it's okay to do it because they're great moments but Michael Jordan has so many great moments in the NBA finals we romanticize over them and I don't want to turn this into a Jordan discussion or whatever but we romanticize over those moments and people like people especially people that live through those moments can remember those moments and to big to you know to bring it back to Giannis, Giannis, <laughs> I think in this finals he has at least two of those moments that I think for the Giannis fans fan club they're gonna roll like those are moments that's gonna really you know in his early career that's gonna define Giannis and it's the chase down it's the it's the he had a couple block he I mean great blocks but. The, the DeAndre Aiden block. I mean, 
that is picture perfect on how that's textbook on how you defend the pick and roll and the lob itself. I mean, that that play was phenomenal. And then the game five moment where Drew Holiday steals the ball from Devin Booker, Giannis is trailing, Giannis gums up, and Giannis, you know, Drew, Drew Holiday throws Giannis the lob, and Giannis finishes it, and then he gives you the mug. Like, those are two moments from this NBA Finals that I think are going to be forever stamped in Giannis' legacy, right, as we, as we look at how his career continues to play out. Still a very young career. Still has he still have a lot of years ahead of him. He's one could argue that he's just now entering into his prime. So a lot, a lot. But I want to get to the resume um, as, as well. The resume of Giannis at the age of twenty six is phenomenal. Five time All NBA, five time, um, five time All Star. Four-time all-defensive team. He made an all-rookie team. Obviously, he's won two MVPs. He's won a Most Improved Player of the Year award. He's won an All-Star MVP. He was he made the all-rookie team, and now he's an NBA champion to top it off with the Finals MVP. Um, and when we talk about these resumes, best resume, best looking resume or the most accomplished player since 1980 at the age of 26. Giannis is up there. Um, Tim Duncan, uh, I think. T- I think we. Tim Duncan probably has the best resume at twenty six. I think Tim Duncan was a six time all. Uh, like, let me look at Duncan's resume. Can we pull up Duncan's resume for me? So yeah, like I was saying, Duncan. He had. He was all. He was a two time champ, a two time Finals MVP, a one time All Star MVP, five first for five first team All NBA's, five first team All Defense. Uh, and this is all in his first five years in the NBA. Um, Giannis, the one edge that Giannis has is the MVP, the, the MVP awards, but everything else Duncan has. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, when we talk about these resumes and I saw the, you know, I, I, I looked at different, I, I saw and heard about different questions that different media outlets and networks and these shows we're talking about, and as I predicted, and you guys already knew, like it didn't. I didn't need to say it. You guys knew what quest, what the questions were going to be after Giannis won the championship, or after the Bucks won the championship. I should say, um, you know, it, it does Giannis one ring means more mean more than KD's two rings, the, and that that whole conversation, which I think. When, when when we chop it up, and as I and once again, as I talked about at the beginning of this series, I talked about how no asterisk, no asterisk, no asterisk next to this championship. Um, rings as we as we remember it as sports fans and as basketball fans, and like I, I talked about this already, we look at the result. We're so results based. And we just looked at the result, and did you get it done or not? Giannis got it done. Chris Paul didn't. But, you know, I talked about no asterisk because we often, we like in the moment, we often think about the content. We're adding context, and we add, you know, different situations as far as the injuries and, you know, 
Kyrie, you know, all, all that, all that good stuff. We we think about it in the moment and when it happens. But years down the line, we're like, oh yeah, the Bucks won that championship. Giannis won that championship, right? We don't, we don't ever do it. We we don't ever like years down the line. We don't ever go back and look at the nuance and adding. And we don't add context. Most of us don't. And that's fine. Like I said, I wish we did in certain instances, but it's fine. But it's no this this championship has no asterisk. And the fact that Giannis did it without a super team, I think is probably even more intriguing. The fact that Giannis did it without a super team is more intriguing because now it kind it kinda, I'm not gonna say it all it, it I'm not gonna say it shifts the parallel. Uh, but it kind of shifts the parallel, and it it puts a little bit more pressure on Kevin Durant himself to get it done, you know. Because we look at Kevin Durant's situation, and I'm not sure if he's able going to like if he's if he's ever going to be able to win a championship without a quote unquote super team. Because we look at the team that we that he has around him now in Brooklyn, he has Kyrie Irving, James Harden, two top. He has two other like top 15 players around him. At least, you know, Harden's definitely a top 10 guy. Some people would probably argue that Kyrie's a top 10 guy, but these guys are undisputably top 15 players in basketball. And they're playing alongside with Kevin Durant. So, you know, it, with Giannis winning this ring without a super team, quote unquote. Um, because I don't think the I don't think this Bucks team is a super team. <laughs> I heard some people saying that, and I'm like, that's ridiculous. This 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 Bucks team is not a super team. So I, the the fact that and you know we have these debates and 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 these conversations about does this ring mean more than these rings? And if we're honest with ourselves, I think personally people do. Like the Dirt Nowitzki championship, that one championship, I think personally people do hold that championship in high regard. And I think with Giannis one championship, with albeit there was injuries, but like I said, there's no asterisk. And you look at it and he did it without, he didn't do it, he did it without a super team. People are going to hold this championship in in high regard, and I'm thinking a little bit more towards the future. If if the Bucks and I'm this is hypothetical, and it's 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 a bit out there, but hypothetical. If the Bucks were to repeat as champions, it would validate this championship even more. So that's that's crazy to think about, and it's a lot to think about and a lot to digest. But the Bucks and you know, I, I and, and and I've been talking about Giannis, but the Bucks as a whole deserve a lot of. I'm gonna give them their props uh, because I've been really hard on Chris Middleton. I've been really hard um, on Mike Budenholzer. Uh, I still don't think he's an elite coach, um, but I've been hard on him and he got it done. The point is he got it done and he's a champ. He's a championship winning head coach. So I can't take that away from him. Um, so I, I, you know, guys like the, 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 the minutes, the, the points that Bobby Portis gave the bucks over the last two rounds were critical. 
I said it back in the Eastern Conference Finals that I thought Bobby Portis should have been playing more because he's just such a weapon to have coming off of the bench. He's 6'9", 6'10", can stretch the floor, can play in the pick and roll as a roll man, or he can play. In, he can hit the he can hit the pick and pop. He can do so much for you offensively, and I just thought Milwaukee could use some of that um, a bit more. So. You know, shouts out to the buck to the Bucks. Uh, I was I was about to say the Buccaneers. Shouts out to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, well deserved. I feel good for Giannis, and I'm 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 happy for Giannis because now it kind of changes. I want to see how people change the narrative in the conversation about the resume and the sheet of paper debate because Giannis' resume as a 26 year old since 1980. As a 26-year-old, Giannis' resume is probably the second best right after Tim Duncan's. So all these years, you know, people have been looking at the sheet of paper. And you look at the sheet of paper at the age of 26 since 1980, Giannis Adentacumpo's resume it it's it's high it's it, it's it should be held in high regard because it's probably the second greatest 26 year old resume in the NBA since 1980. Um, but I'll be on the, I'll be on the other side. All right, so we're a little past 17 minutes into the episode. Um, this is the segment where I give my NFC predictions. This is the Isaiah Kid podcast. Um, so as I mentioned, I did my AFC predictions in the previous episode. If you're interested in that, uh, go ahead and check that out, but I'm gonna give my NFC predictions, my early NFC predictions right now, as I stated, um, already, I I do this two times. I do it. I do both conferences before the preseason. And then I do both conferences after the preseason, those the after my preseason predictions, those are my official predictions. These are my early predictions. So let's get into it. I'm gonna start with the NFC East. Um, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I think they're gonna win the division. I'm picking them to win the division at 10 and 7. Uh, Dallas offensively, when you look at them offensively, they're elite. That's not the problem. Defense is where the Cowboys had a hard time with stopping opposing teams run running game right uh so you know the defense can't get any worse than what it was last year Uh, i'm expecting it to be a mediocre defense uh you know it's a lot of young guys on that on that in that secondary especially uh but dan quinn i'm expecting him to coach them up a bit uh and to be mediocre because you you look at the offensive side of the ball you know, if Dallas O line can hold up, uh, guys like Tyron Smith and um, and Lionel Collins, Collins and Smith have been the two offensive linemen who's dealt with lingering in- injuries over the last couple years. Zach Martin's had his fair share as well, but Collins and Smith is the key. They're the key to keeping healthy. Healthy, but you know, Zeke looks skinnier. Um, you look at the receivers that Dallas has with, you know, C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, explosive group. Um, it, you know, when you look at the trio and compare to teams around the league, it's 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 really high up there. Um, Dak coming off the injury. I expect Dak to, you know, pick up where he left off a bit. He was on a he was on a historic rate. He was going at a historic rate. 
I expect them to play well, and that's really why I'm picking the Cowboys. Usually, the the team with the best quarterback wins the division. Usually. Not saying all the time, but usually when your roster is put together somewhat okay, which the Cowboys, it's not the perfect roster, obviously, but they have the quarterback situation settled. Um, it's better than the rest of the division of the divisions. So that's why I lean more towards the Cowboys winning the division at 10 and 7. But the Washington football team, I think, are right behind them at 9 and 8. With the Washington football team defensively, it's going to be stellar. I think they're going to have a stellar defense. I think it's going to be a top five defense. Um, that front four is ferocious, and they add it to the secondary. The doubt comes in with right here. Here's where my doubt comes in with the Washington football team. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's going into his 18th year as a pro, but he's a journeyman, and he's a gunslinger, and he can he can throw you out of games, and he can throw you in games. I think there's going to be instances where Washington football fans, they experience both sides. They're going to experience where he has a big-time second half and he, you know, he leads a comeback, and he's going to throw you out of games. So I think, you know, with the, Washington, with, the, with the defense, I think it's going to keep them in a lot of ball games because it's that good. But Ryan Fitzpatrick is where I struggle to really, really believe in the Washington football team uh, as far as winning a division. But I think they'd be good enough to get nine wins, nine and eight for the Washington football team. The Giants, the Giants, you know, it, it, I think I, I have them going eight and nine. Um, the roster is solid, very similar to Washington as far as, like, you look at their rosters. Washington probably has the best, like, overall roster in, in the division. But the Giants have a pretty good roster as well. Daniel Jones. I think Daniel Jones, this is his make or break year. They added more off they they added more offensive line help. He gets Saquon Barkley back and he they went out and signed Kenny Galladay. Not to mention that they drafted Kadarius Tony, who's supposed, you know, he's he's supposed to be their deep threat. So defensively, I'm not really worried about the Giants. I'm more so worried about Daniel Jones in his play um or lack thereof. I think we we time will tell if if Daniel Jones is going to be a part of the long term solution at the quarterback position for the New York Football Giants. I think time will tell. Um, but I got them at eight and nine. I'm just not I'm just not so sure on Daniel Jones. With the Philadelphia Eagles, I got them finishing at five and twelve. Um, I'm not I, I'm not I was not a huge fan of the Nick Sirianni hire. Uh, I feel like more. I feel like he's more of a puppet, uh, and you know the front office uh, of of Philadelphia. They want. They just want control and they want to micromanage. So I'm not even sure if that's the best candidate or if they went with the best candidate as far as Nick Sirianni. We have to see. But Philadelphia, they have a lot of aging parts as far as their offensive line. And on their defense, uh, they went out and drafted Devontae Smith for Jalen Hurts, but I'm not I'm not really sold on Hurts being the long term solution in Philadelphia. So that's why I got them going five and twelve. But I'm gonna shift on to the NFC South. NFC South, it's a no brainer. I got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers winning the division. Um, they're the best overall team. I think they're gonna go thirteen and four. Thirteen and four. I think they're gonna win thirteen games. 
their their heads and shoulders above the the the, the freight uh in the NFC South. So I think they're gonna win it. Now in second place, I have the New Orleans Saints at nine and eight. Um, the salary cap it, it's gonna show. I think you know the salary cap isn't fake. <laughs> um, they you know, the Saints they lost a bunch of players. You know they obviously they lost Drew Brees, their their longtime quarterback, but they lost Trey Hendr- Hendrickson, um, Emmanuel Sanders, Janoris Jenkins, Sheldon Rankins, Jared Cook, Quan Alexander. So they're fa- they're gonna face some challenges um, as far as their depth, uh, and you know the battle between the quarterbacks. Who's gonna be the quarterback between Jameis Winston or a uh, Taysom Hill? Uh, you know, I, 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 me personally, I think they should go with Jameis Winston, but we'll see. Um, but f- for New Orleans, here's hope: the dominant offensive line. They have a dominant offensive line. They got a they got a lot of young talent. They're all of most of their young talent is locked under contract. So I think that's some good news. I think with Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, I know Michael Thomas is probably going to miss uh, a portion of the you know of the first half of the season. But you have Kamara, you have some other offensive weapons that Jameis Winston, who I think should be the starter, uh, he, he can play with. And then the defense. I think the defense is going to be still solid. New Orleans still has a really good team. I just think with the salary cap, this, their salary situation, the losses that they had, and with a, a new quarterback, regardless of who it is, I think that's where they're I – don't, I don't think they're quite a Super Bowl team. Could they make it to the playoffs? Possibly. But I got them at 9-8. and eight. Um, Next on my list – the Carolina Panthers. I think the Carolina Panthers are very interesting. Um, I, I, I really do. They now we obviously know they went out and got Sam Darnold, um, who I think brings a little bit more athleticism and a little bit more craftiness and playmaking than what Teddy brung uh, or bought, I should say. But obviously, Chris, Christian McCaffrey, he he didn't play much at all last year offensively, I'm not really worried about Carolina. It's defensively where I struggle. Uh, I still I, I still feel like they're rebuilding, retooling on that on that defensive side. They did have, you know, obviously Brian Burns is one of the better pass rushers in football. Um, you know, he, he didn't have the best season last year, so they're, they're going to bank on him to have a pretty good year. Obviously, they drafted J.C. Horn out of South Carolina, so I still think they're Matt Rule. I still think they're rebuilding down there as far as their defense, but I think Carolina would be a respectable eight and nine. Um, and then lastly, the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, Arthur Smith, I think he's a good hire. Uh, offensively, that hasn't been the Falcons' problem. It's defensively where the Falcons have had the most trouble in the last several years, and that's where I struggle. So I got them at six and eleven, a, a competitive six and eleven. NFC North. Um, I'm gonna go with the Packers for now. This is me assuming that Aaron Rodgers will come back and play. Um, I don't think it's gonna be an easy year, even if Aaron Rodgers comes back and play. Just looking at the drama that the Packers have had over the you know this course of the offseason, I don't think it's gonna be easy, but I'm gonna go with the Packers at 10 and 7, 11 and 6. If you got Aaron Rodgers on the center, on the center, I think they'd be fine. 
but I'm I, I'm just not too sold on it. Um, next, I got Minnesota at nine and eight. I I, I do. I mean, Minnesota last year, young defensively. Um, they got going at the at the like the latter part of the year, but it was kind of too late. So I'm looking at their additions defensively. That's where I'm mainly focused at defensively. Um, they, they they went and got uh, Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, you know, to cover up the middle, D line, D tackle. Uh, they got you know they got I, I, they went out and got Patrick Peterson. More he he feels like he's more on his last leg, and they got Brashad Breeland. So they got some veteran corners, more seasoned corners. I felt like the secondary was just so young last year. They gave up a lot of big plays and a lot of points. I I, I hope I hope their defense can find a little bit more consistency because obviously we know what they can do on offense. They got Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, um, um, Adam Thielen. We all know we're not. You know, Kirk, Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins, but offensively is not the problem. They can score points if they need to. It's defensively, and that's where I got them at that nine and eight range. Yeah, nine and eight range for um for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, next I got the Chicago Bears at seven and ten. Eight. I I got them at eight and nine. I'm gonna have the Bears at eight and nine. Um, I think. I think Fields will will have an impressive preseason, uh, and I think he has showed that he he, he I think he's going to play early, probably not week one, but I think he's going to play early. I think we'll probably see Justin Fields around October, uh, you know, near the middle of the season where Chicago's kind of stumbling and they could use a quarterback change. Defensively, uh, I, I have no worries about Chicago. That hasn't been like I said. Defensively, it hasn't that hasn't been their problem. Um, over the past four seasons, they have ranked top twelve in like in, in in yardage as far as defense in the last four seasons. So defensively, it's not the problem. They've always had a upper a, a upper echelon defense. Offensively, is where the struggles come in. Um, I'm looking at a guy like Darnell Mooney, who's a, a who's a really good deep threat to have a big time season. Obviously, Allen Robinson is a uh, you know stud at the receiver position, but Chicago, I feel like they're going to stumble a little bit. I think Fields going to take the helm, and um, you know he they'll be a respectable eight and nine. Uh, and then lastly, the Detroit Lions. I mean, what can I say? I'm not into biting kneecaps. I'm just not. Uh, I'm not really high on the on on, on the Lions. I got them. I think they're gonna probably be the worst team in the NFC. I got them at four and thirteen. Um, NFC West. I saved the best for the last. This is probably the most. This is probably the most competitive division in football. I think there's about there's probably about three teams in this division that are Super Bowl possibly Super Bowl quality teams. I think. Um, so I got the Rams winning this division. I know Cam Akers. He suffered a torn Achilles injury, and that's a big blow. Um, I did come up with this list before the injury, so I'm going to stand by it. Um, Matthew Stafford, I think, is an upgrade from Jared Goff. Uh, I, I, I'm aware that the Rams did lose 
some depth on their defense and their defensive coordinator and Brian Staley. So that'd be interesting to see how they replace that. And I also think the Rams have something interesting with their defense where, you know, it's top heavy with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, because those are the two best players on their defense and they make a lot of money. And, on, around their defense, they got they've drafted well. The Rams have just drafted well, even without first round picks. So I'm gonna be very curious to see how they fulfill the losses of a of a of players like John Johnson III or a Troy Hill. I'm really curious to see um, because they have done a good job at drafting, um, even without first round picks, but. I, th- I got the Rams at 11 and 6. I think they're going to be pretty good. Um, next, I got the Seattle Seahawks at 11 and 6 as well, or 10 and 7. I think they're going to be 11 and 6. Seattle is one of those teams. I think they're they're going to all, you know, Russell Wilson is there. So you're going to always have a chance when you got Russ at the helm. Um, I, I heard they're trying to make Jamal Adams one of the higher paid safeties in football. So. You look at Seattle, their roster, it's a really good roster. I'm not sure, and they could be knocking on a Super Bowl. Seattle's one of those teams that could be a dangerous wild card team for anybody to face because, like I said, they got rust, you know, their defense, they got studs on defense. So they're 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 a dangerous out for anybody. Um, I got them at 11 and 6. I think the Rams are gonna be a little bit better in division. Um the 49ers. The 49ers, I got them at 9 and 8. The 49ers, I feel like, are another wild card team that could be very dangerous if they peak at the right time. Um, the quarterback situation is a bit iffy because I think Jimmy Garoppolo will be the starter day one. But how long is he going to last is the question. How long Jimmy Garoppolo is going to last is the question because we know the best ability is availability and Jimmy Garoppolo struggles to stay on the field. But I think defensively, they're bringing back a really good core defensively. You get you get a healthier Nick Bosa and D Ford who can contribute to one of the one of the one of the league's best pass rushes. Um, so I'm really curious to see just the development of this quarterback story in San Francisco. Um, and then lastly, I got the, I got the, I got the Cardinals. I got them at eight and nine. I think the Cardinals are probably the best fourth place team in football. Like they, they have a really good roster. I'm not, I'm not too huge on Cliff Kingsbury. As a coach, I felt like last year he stumbled a bit, but the but the, the but the Cardinals are could they make the playoffs? Yes, but their division is so damn tough. And I look at the teams in their division, I, I favor those teams over them. And like I said, I'm not too huge on Cliff Kingsbury. When I also when I look at the division, I see Jer- I see Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Pete Carroll. All three of those coaches are better than Cliff Kingsbury. That's just my take. Um, I think Kyler Murray, you know, I, I, did the lead catch on a bit in the second half of the season? A little bit. Um, especially after that Hail Mary game versus Buffalo, they they certainly weren't great. 
But um, I, I'm looking for Arizona to be a really competitive team like they were last year. I just don't think they have enough to get over the hump. So these are my playoff teams. Um, Tampa Bay, uh, the Rams, Dallas, Green Bay, Seattle as a wild card team, the Washington football team as a wild card team, and the San Francisco 49ers as a wild card team. So those are so those three wild card teams are really good. And the NFC, it was so difficult to pick these. The NFC is so so damn deep. It's so damn deep. Like literally, we have three wild card teams in Seattle. The Washington football team and the San Francisco 49ers, who could you could make a legitimate case that they could be playing in the Super Bowl, at least for Seattle and for in the 49ers. Washington, they got to figure out the quarterback thing, but with the 49ers, and I know they got the 49ers got their own quarterback debacle as well. But I feel like the 49ers are more complete, and we've seen them go to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. So that's more of a you know, we've seen that before. We haven't seen Ryan Fitzpatrick in the postseason. So I think it's going to be interesting telltale. But those are my playoff teams uh, and those are my predictions for the NFC. Once again, I'll be doing this before the post, before the preseason or before the regular season starts. I go over my predictions again. But these are my predictions. I feel pretty good about them. Okay, so now that my predictions are out of the way, uh, a big story that I thought I would never see, or I don't know, I just, I just never thought I would just envision the Texas Longhorns and, and the Oklahoma Sooners in the SEC. And you guys know, you guys can probably tell where I'm going with this. So, breaking news happened earlier this week, um, and there's been further development about how. Oklahoma, both programs, Oklahoma and Texas, are really pushing to get out of the Big 12 and move forward into the SEC. Um, I, 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 I really, I really can't wait. Like you guys, I don't got, I don't think you guys really understand how much I cannot wait to talk about more college football and more NFL football just in general. I don't think you guys know, but I'm really, really excited. But I always, on this podcast, I talk about, I I usually, you know, around this time and around in college football and NFL, I, I, I usually talk about the dominance of the SEC. And the dominance of the SEC, and, and, and some of it, I talk and I mo- I mainly talk about it from a football a football perspective of how the SEC it just has been it's just been dominant right, but from a business aspect as well, the SEC dominates. Uh, I went and did some research. The SEC, don't you know, the SEC last year made seven hundred and. $730 million in revenue, $730 million in revenue the SEC made last year. Mind you, COVID year, my, like, year got off to a late start. They ma- they almost made a billion dollars. <laughs> so the SEC is not only heads and shoulders above other conferences as far as its play and the competition and its teams, but also business-wise. 
Um, and I think it kind of, and I talked about this, I talked a little bit about this on my, on, on when I talked about how the college football playoff expansion uh, a couple months back where the, the, the talks really started to ramp it up about the, uh, uh, you know, the actual playoff expanding. And I talked about how, you know, the business side and, you know, the conferences and the outlook of the conferences. And I think, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma trying to get out of the Big 12, I think it speaks to a bigger problem or not even a bigger problem, but a bigger situation that I think college football is going to soon, very soon, like in the next couple years, it's going to have to address. And that's the, you know, trying to place teams in different conferences and so forth. But I want to stay, I'm going to stick mainly to Texas and Oklahoma, possibly moving to the SEC. With Oklahoma, Oklahoma has been really good. Oklahoma has been really, really good. Like they've been superb, right? Most years, over the last several years, most years, Oklahoma comes out on top of the Big 12 and they win the Big 12 and they usually go to the playoff or whatever or play like in a high-ranked uh, bowl game, right? Texas, on the other hand, Texas has been underachieving. And I am very excited for Steve Sarkeesian um, and this opportunity that he has to be the head football coach at Texas. But, the, the, I mean, the truth is that Texas has been underachieving for some time now. Um, and, you know, you look at you look at all the advantages that Texas have. You look at the players that the state of Texas can recruit um, and who they have in their own backyard and the fact that they have not been able to cash in um, for a while now is a bit troubling. Um, and you know, it's like, you look at the Texas program, it's no way that Texas shouldn't be a top five program. But when you think of the big 12, as far as college football, you think of Oklahoma and Texas, Texas, Oklahoma, however you want to put it. Those two programs are basically shouldering the weight of the big 12 upon them. And when you look at how the, like, like I said, the SEC, not just on the football field, but the SEC in business, as far as money and commerce, they are, they are separating themselves from the pack. It ain't, it's not even close when it comes to the business side and the money and the funding and the capital that, the SEC is bringing in. Texas, UT is still a, and, and, and just imagine, just imagine the Texas brand and the Oklahoma brand mashing it and combining it with the the SEC. Now, Texas, one could argue that Texas, why, why in the hell is Texas trying to leave the Big 12, the inferior football conference, to go join the SEC, where college football just matters more, and not to say that Texas, it don't matter, but the SEC is the best conference in, 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 in Power Five. Why would Texas do that? And I think it's a valid argument uh, as far as, like I said, Texas has been underachieving. Like I have, I do have some high hopes for Sark at Texas now that he's taken over, but 
the fact of the matter is that Texas has not, they've been underachieving. But with the college football playoff expansion, why would, like, in, like, okay, the current playoff format, how it's set today with four teams, it would make sense for Texas to stay in the Big 12 because you look at the opponents that they would have to face in route to getting to the college football playoff with the four-team play- format. It's easier to do it in the Big 12 than it is in the SEC. You don't want to, like, instead of playing LSU and Auburn and Florida or Georgia, you're playing Baylor, Texas Tech, and Kansas and Kansas State if you're Texas. But if the college football playoff is expanding, if it's expanding, why not go to the SEC if you're Texas? Why not? Because if you're if you're if it, if it's going to expand to a twelve team format, and we have seen instances where a two loss SEC team is sometimes weighed as the better team compared. It can be a, it can be a Pac twelve team that has one loss or no losses, and that s that two loss SEC team will, will sometimes gets the edge because of the sec and the competition so if that if the playoff was to explain and and it it probably is it's most likely going to expand and when it does expand to 12 teams it would not surprise me if a three loss sec team was to make the playoff it wouldn't surprise me at all i'm actually expecting that i'm actually expecting the sec to have at least three to four teams on a yearly basis. I think they could get five teams in the in the in the college football playoff expansion if they wanted to on a good year. They could probably get five teams. So, the, so I, I you know I've heard some people talk about the notion or criticize the notion of Texas moving to the SEC to the better conference because. You know, they're looking at Texans like, Texas, you haven't been good over the last several years uh, or you have underachieved. Why would you move to a better football conference? Well, I think it puts you in tip-top in, in a better position to make the playoff when you're playing against this, against this competition. Um, and then with, with Oklahoma, I mean, think about this from the Oklahoma standpoint. Texas A&M. When Texas A&M went to the SEC, when they made their transition from the Big 12 to the SEC, do you guys remember what Texas A&M did? Texas A&M, mind you, Johnny Manziel was the quarterback of Texas A&M. Texas A&M had Mike Evans, uh, Kevin Samuel. Mind you, do you guys remember what what Johnny Manziel did to Alabama? He gave Alabama fits. And they went, they went into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama because of and, and it was it was a lot of it had to do with the spread offense that Texas AM played and the and or that they ran. And the SEC, I mean, and now at now at this point, I get it, that was years ago. At this point, the SEC has caught up and you see more spread offenses. But Oklahoma it, they would bring a different variation of it. And it seems like Oklahoma over the last, like 
now Oklahoma is getting – they're getting their hands on the best quarterbacks in the country. Like, year in, year out, Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, he's doing a hell of a job. He's getting his hands on the best quarterbacks in the country. He got the best quarterback in the country right now. He just got the best quarterback in the country um, next for next year. So, like, he's getting talented guys at the quarterback position – and it's very, it's it's very, very hard to prepare for Oklahoma on three days' notice. Usually, when usually when think and think about it, usually when these SEC teams play Oklahoma, they usually get two and three and four weeks to prepare for Oklahoma. But if Oklahoma makes a transition to the SEC, you're working on four you're working on three four days notice of trying to p- put a game plan together to slow down and stop this Oklahoma offense and it's really hard to do in a three or in a three or four day time frame like that's really difficult to do so I think Texas and Oklahoma um they bring a different they bring a different element I think they would bring a different element to to the SEC, I think a lot of people are skeptical of Texas because, like I said, Texas have struggled or they've underachieved. I should say they have underachieved in the last couple years. In the la- like the last several years, they have uh, they have underachieved. I should say, but Texas, I think I, I also think um, recruiting. I think this is also a recruiting a, a recruiting tool where Oklahoma and Texas now can say, okay, we, we're like, cause Texas, they're, they're getting their kids in Texas, but what if Texas can get the Georgia kids and the Florida kids? What if Lincoln Riley can get more Florida kids and Georgia kids? What if they're able to loophole and get into those states and those pipelines just like the SEC did. So I think it's also a recruiting tool and, a, and like trying to get more of an advantage as far as recruiting. I think that all matters and I think it all ties into the fact that the SEC, that the that Texas and Oklahoma is trying to make this move to the SEC. But I also think a lot of it has to do with Texas and Oklahoma basically are shouldering the weight of the Big 12. They're carrying the Big 12 in terms of it's college football, absolutely carrying the Big 12. So I'm not opposed of Texas and Oklahoma making um, the move to the SEC. I'm not opposed to it at all. Uh, the SEC would just be really uh, like the conference would be just stupid. The conference would be stupid. That, that I mean, adding Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, stupid. That conference would go stupid. But um, yeah, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to it whatsoever at all. All right, so I know we're um a little past fifty minutes into the episode, um, but I thought I'd bring this up because it's important to uh our society now. So it like right now in current day, Minnesota Vikings offensive line coach Rick Dennison, um. And I say, oh, well, former, I should say, because 
uh, he refused to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, and in, you know, in result of that, in his refusal, he got fired. He got fired. He's, he got his walking papers. So <laughs> in this kind of this, this speaks to, I don't know. I, I like, okay, let me, let me first just say this. I don't, I, I quite, I like, and I, and, and, and clearly the NFL is trying to send a message. They're trying to send a message and they're trying to set a president um, where they, they are cracking down hard. And I saw, I saw the policy um, that the NFL, um, that league office and the players association mutually agreed on about non-vaccinated players basically happening to live within a bubble because they are not non-vaccinated and it's i would encourage you guys to go take a peek at it take a look at it um it's really in depth um and i think with this rick dennison story um, offensive line head coach uh, of the Minnesota Vikings. He got fired because he refused to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, I think this is setting, this is setting the stage and it's basically a heads up to coaches, GMs or players around the league um, about this current situation that is happening with the vaccination and the vaccine. And the NFL, they're coming down hard. They're, 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 they're coming down hard. And I, like I'm, I was just about to say, I quite frankly don't care what party or what presidential candidate or who you voted for. I, I, I like I told you guys, I truly don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't care, but, um, I got vaccinated. I had to get the vaccine because I'm in college. I'm going, I'm in school. So, you know, in order for me to partake and live on campus, I have to be vaccinated along with my peers that are around me on campus or that will be around me on campus. They're vaccinated as well because it's mandatory. And with the NFL in the Minnesota Vikings, it is a private owned company and we know america is known for its uh capitalistic economy right so when you have these private companies and or businesses or franchises and they they come up with a rule to protect the health and safety of their employees and you don't abide by it you know there could be further ramifications and negative, like negatively, right? If you don't follow those rules, and with Rick Dennison, that's what it is. The Minnesota Vikings are in this in this instance are the example of the private company uh, or, or you know or per se business um, that came up with their rule, and he got fired. And imagine going home to your family, or whatever you know, because I'm pretty sure you know, I, I don't know, but. Imagine going home to your family and explaining the reason why you lost your job and that reason being, oh, yeah, I didn't I didn't want to take the vaccine. I didn't want to take a vaccination shot because, you know, even though it keep everybody 
It'll keep myself and people around me safe at the workplace. I ain't want to take it. I refuse to take it. And that's why I lost my job. Like, could you imagine trying to explain that? And and like and and when I said about I don't care who you voted for, I don't take that, don't take that heat, don't take that the heat, don't take it to the head, don't get too offended by it. I didn't like don't don't it's not nothing serious. When I mean I don't like you could have voted for Trump, you could have voted for Biden. In Rick Dennison's case, situation, perspective, whatever, he should have got the vaccination shot, right? And with the NFL, I think this is this speaks to a bigger, not and I ain't necessarily a bigger issue, but first the players' association, the players' association. This this further shows the lack of job or that the players' association or the progress. Or lack thereof, I should I should be saying that they're making right. Um, if because you have certain players coming out saying, "Hey, I'm not going to take the vaccination," you know, I, I'm like you have players coming out and saying that. And I'm not a immune. I'm not an immunologist. I'm not going to try to play scientist or doctor. I'm not. But when you have the vaccination, it decreases the chances of you getting it, but you can still catch COVID-19. It's just that it's not going to hit you as severe as it would if you didn't get the vaccination. Because let's be honest, you look at certain states. I know, I think I, I looked at it last week, the state of California, um, as far as the people that's still catching COVID out there. Now, you guys would have to do your own research. But like I said, last week, I, I was looking at the state of California most of the people that's catching that's still catching COVID-19 are the people that's not vaccinated. That's un that's unvaccinated. That's the people that still you now, like I said, you can be vaccinated and you can still catch COVID-19. But the chances of that is is are are, are lower, you know, compared to somebody else's chances that's unvaccinated, obviously. Plus you the vaccine is going to fight against it it's not going to be as severe as it would be if somebody caught it that doesn't have the vaccine you see what i'm saying so i mean it's i think it's it, we tr- we i think we sometimes oversimplify things um but I, I and i'm and i'm not and like i said i'm and by no means if you don't want to catch if you don't want to get the vaccine hey don't get the vaccine but if it if you refuse to get the vaccine and it causes you your job, um, and ultimately the the help like the NFL, the Vikings, all thirty two teams ultimately just want people to be healthy. They they want people to be healthy, and they don't want to. The NFL doesn't want to have basically a a redo of what they had last year, which was rescheduling games for Tuesday night and Wednesday like. They don't want they don't want that. They don't want players um, catching COVID. They just don't. They want to lower the risk and the chances of that happening. Um, And like I said, I would if I'm you guys, um, I would go take a look at the policy that the NFL and the NFLPA mutually agreed on uh, as far as players not being, you know, as far as what what players can do. If they're not vaccinated, as far as, you know, they basically have to live in a bubble. 
So I would encourage you guys to check that out. But I think this is probably going to be a trickle down effect. And it's kind of, kind of, you know, screwed up that the coaches don't have a union, unlike the players. But, you know, it is what it is. And I think, you know, you're seeing this from assistant coach to coach and then players. So, you know, I think this is just a re-evolving door. But, um, yeah, I, that, you know, I just, I just thought I'd talk about that a little bit. Um, so, the Bucks. So yeah, I'm um the Bucks. You know, I lot I know a lot of people have some controversial takes uh, about this past NBA Finals. About did we really see the bet the two best teams from each conference and the injuries? And I, I get it, I get it because the, the you you guys know I didn't I didn't have the Milwaukee Bucks beating the Nets. I had the Nets beating the Bucks. Um, but I assumed they would be healthy, right? Right, right. Um, the Phoenix Suns, you guys know I had the Lakers beating the Suns. I assumed that they would be healthy. So it happens. I mean, I think the like that's why I said if the Bucks are able to come back and win it again next year, I think this puts more validation. Um on their championship as a whole. Now, from a Giannis perspective, I think there's two ways to look at it. From a Giannis perspective, this championship is really substantial. It's a like this championship ring is very substantial. Um, especially when you know you get into the whole comparison game, but with KD's two rings and LeBron's two rings and all that in Miami. So from that instance, okay. But from the whole team with the Milwaukee Bucks as a squad, like even even with them winning, do anybody think that like we all we I think we all can agree that the Bucks are not a super team, right? But like with the Bucks winning the championship, do we all think like Mike Budenholzer is an elite coach all of a sudden because he got it because he, he's a championship like he got he got a championship like you know no I don't I I don't think it. I don't think anybody um, outside of Milwaukee will tell you that Coach Bud is an elite coach just because he won a chance. I I just don't think that, right? I don't think nobody would say that, or I hope not, right? Um, but so it, it's a it's an interesting, it's a two way street as far as how we judge these championships. Like I said, I don't think it's no asterisk. Um, I know some people will have a mental asterisk, but when we look at the result, we're going to just look at the result at the end of the day. And we're going to be like, the Bucks won the championship, right? Um, I talked about that. But I think it's really interesting, and I'm and I'm just looking forward to this offseason. And as far as Phoenix, because I think Milwaukee, Milwaukee, they might add a piece or two. Um, they do got a couple free agents um, this summer. Uh, I think Bobby Portis is one of them. Uh, PJ Tucker is another. So you know those guys were really critical um, for the Bucks down this stretch. Um, you know down the playoff run. So it's really it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do. But from a Phoenix perspective, I don't think Phoenix can stay packed. I don't think Phoenix can stand by and just come back with the same squad. I just don't. Um, 
I think they need to try to make another upgrade. Um, try to or, or try to add another piece. Cause when you stand pack, teams go right by you. And best and believe the Los Angeles Lakers will try to make an aggressive move and an aggressive push to add somebody. It could be Westbrook, it could be Chris Paul, it could be Kyle Lowry, it could be DeMar DeRozan. It could be Zach Levine. We don't know. The Lakers are definitely going to make a push. The Warriors are going to try to make a strong push along with getting Klay Thompson back. Um, The Dallas Mavericks are going to try to make a strong push to get Kawhi Leonard and pair him up with Luka Doncic. That is scary. Um, You know, so that Denver... So there's so many teams, so many good teams out west, uh, Utah, where Phoenix, I don't think they can afford to stay packed, stand packed. And if they do, um, I don't think a lot of people to begin with have the Phoenix Suns coming back and getting back to this point next year. But if they stand packed and bring back the same roster, I'm not sure. I like I, they'd, they'd be a playoff team. They'd be a good team. But. As far as them getting out of the first round, the second round, and advancing back to the NBA Finals, that's going to be a tall task. Um, as as you watch teams around you get better, it's going to be a tall task. So I'm very curious to see where this offseason take us in the NBA. Um, like I said, the, the, is there a shift with with these super teams because Giannis? One one without a super team. I don't know if that'll take place this offseason. I don't I don't think it was that much of a shift, but it, it was kind of an eye-opening thing, and it got people thinking about this whole super team concept. And you know, I, I think Giannis definitely I don't think I don't I don't know. He's looking through the peephole. I don't know if the door is completely wide open. But Giannis definitely has people, he definitely has people looking through the peephole. I'm not sure if the door is wide open. But thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Greatly appreciate you guys tuning in, tapping in, continuing to do so. Uh, Once again, I greatly appreciate it. Always remember two choices, one decision. I will be back on Wednesday. I catch you guys. Enjoy. Enjoy your weekend. Have a safe weekend. Deuces pieces peace pieces deuce deuces peace i'm gone out